Okay, I think we should get started because I only get an hour and it's 6.01. Every minute is precious, okay? Um, so uh, let's, let's jump in. Um, let, let's open in a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are thankful this, for this night uh, and this time to be together. We pray you'd be in um, our study and conversation and thoughts as we consider how we can shape our minds and our hearts to reflect more of your will for our lives. We also uh, pray for all those uh, still out in the cold, and we pray uh, for uh, warmth and safety for them. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm curious um, if anybody here has made a New Year's resolution. Any people who make New Year's resolutions? Okay, a few people. I won't, I won't, I won't ask what it is. I mean, I'll, I won't ask you specifically what it is. Okay. Uh, anybody ever made a New Year's resolution? Okay, number of folks. Uh, how many, just by a show of hands, how many of those resolutions revolved around exercise or food? Okay, all right, that's great. Uh, so I just thought it was fun as I was looking at um, my own New Year's resolution, which is I need to exercise. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to look up some stats on uh, resolutions, and uh, a lot of these revolve around exercise. So uh, January, of course, is the best month of the year for gym memberships. Um, by May, 80% of people have dropped their membership to the gym, right? So it lasts about five months. Um, and it turns out that 67% uh, of people who uh, sign up for gym memberships in January never go once. Um, I am in that category. I, uh, I once got a get gym membership from my parents for a present uh, with a note that said a little more of this, a little less of this. Uh, and I did not ever go. Um, okay, uh, but um, uh, it was 67%, two-thirds. Two-thirds of people who, who buy gym memberships never go once. Uh, and then many people who go occasionally don't go regularly. Uh, so the stat is that gyms need 10 times as many members as they can accommodate to be profitable. So gyms are counting on you not. Okay? So actually there's a lot of gyms that even say, hey, we're looking for people that aren't um, normal gyms to come. Right? They just want you to give it uh, In fact, there's a great episode of Friends uh, where... Chandler wants to drop his membership at the gym, but he can't. He's too intimidated by uh, the people who work there. And so he gets Ross to go with him. And they go down to the gym membership. And uh, Ross is the guy who's saying, be strong, quit the gym. And they leave. And Chandler's still a member. And Ross has joined the gym. You know, and, um, first month for a dollar. Wow. Yeah, so there you go. Well, they figure if 1,000 people sign up and, and only 100 of them are going to come, you know, that's pretty good for them. Uh, so there's an interesting statistic, uh, interesting um, concept called pre-commitment. And so there are um, a lot of uh, behavioral economists who talk about joining the gym as a sign of pre-commitment. Because when you join the gym, you haven't done anything yet, right? You've given them money, uh, and your thought is, if I give a lot of money to the gym, I'll feel so guilty about not going that I'll go occasionally, right? Which two-thirds of the time doesn't work at all. Um, but the idea of pre-commitment is really interesting, right? To say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna, I've made a commitment to be committed in the future, right? Uh, this is exactly how I work with dieting, right? One day I will do a really good diet. That's my pre-commitment. Um, so I want to think about um, what it takes to go from pre-commitment to commitment, right? What it takes to go from, hey, I'd like to do this. This is my resolution that I may never make happen to, yeah, I've actually changed my behavior. Uh, and I think this is a pretty critical uh, issue not just in uh, the world of gym memberships, but in pretty much the whole of our Christian lives, right? That 
So much of our Christian life is about um, making decisions and keeping them, especially about changing our behavior. Uh, so um, if you've got a, I didn't tell you to bring Bibles, if you've got a Bible and you want to look over at uh, the book of Romans, um, I'm going to be looking at just Romans chapter 12. And actually, I think I can get this on the screen really quick. Let's see if I can do this. Um, <clears throat> there's there's uh, quite a bit of scripture about this idea of, of renewing our minds. And um, maybe the most famous verse comes from uh, this passage in Romans. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. There we go. Uh, so Paul says, uh, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I want to spend some time this, uh, the next four, this week and the next four weeks talking about how we do that, right? how we go about renewing our mind. I actually did a sermon on this a, a few months ago, and um, the, the idea of the idea of, of habits being related to renewal of our mind is, is pretty powerful for me. So we're going we're to go over that a little bit tonight. Before we do that, um, just really quick, you've got a little outline. Um, I'm not going to go through this in detail, but it's got some information that's helpful for you. The two things I want to point out particularly, uh, just kind of what we're going to do by week. So tonight we're going to talk about understanding habits, what a habit is, um, how they get created, uh, what happens in our brain in the midst of habits. Uh, and then the next two weeks after that, the 11th and the 18th, we're going to talk about how you start and change habits. I don't say start and stop because you can't stop a habit, but you can change a habit. Okay? Um, if we have time on the 18th, I also hope to talk a little bit about societal habits, about how um, societies are changed by habitual action. And then the 25th, we're going to talk about addiction. Uh, addiction is a very particular kind of habit. Okay? And so we'll talk about that separately as a, as, an, um, as a thing that I think affects everybody in one shape, form, or another. And then the last night, we're going to talk about um, helping others, how we pass it on. So how do we pass on the skill of habit formation to other people, which is a pretty critical part of this process, okay? Um, I want to ask you uh, tonight, I'll, I'll mention it again at the end, but I want to ask you to begin thinking about one particular habit you want to either start or change over the next four weeks. Okay? And you don't have to know that tonight, but you need to know it next week. And next week, um, some folks to share. So you may, like if your habit is um, stop doing crystal meth. Maybe pick two habits, okay? So you have one that's more acceptable to share in public, okay? But that would be great to stop doing if you're doing that, okay? Uh, uh, and then I just mentioned on here as well, there's a, a couple of, two or three books I think are excellent. The, the one that I really want to encourage you, if you're, if you're going to pick up one book and read during this class, you don't have to, but if you're going to, pick up Charles Duhigg's The Power of Habit. It's fantastic, and I'm drawing it pretty heavily. I think it's an incredible book. Uh, so if you have some extra time, want to learn more about what we're talking about, pick up that book. It's The Power of Habit. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, and then we will try our best. I'm trying to record these, so hopefully these will go on the uh, podcast. And if not, I apologize in advance. All right. So um, b back to Scripture for a moment. I, I want to think about what this means that we renew our minds. And I think we renew our minds in two ways. Uh, and um, I think both of those show up pretty clearly. Is this going to work? I don't know. Um, well, I may not be able to get this on the screen. There we go. 
they show up pretty clearly in, in a passage in Ephesians. I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, and this is beginning with verse 17. Uh, and this is Paul instructing the Ephesians on, on what their lives should look like now that they're Christians. What should be changing in their lives. And Paul says this, um, I, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Okay, so two, two things in, in this passage that I think are helpful when we think about what it means to be renewed in our minds, or as Paul says here, um, to put on the new self and be made new in the attitude of our minds. Uh, the, the first is, um, we have this idea, I think it's maybe our dominant idea about behavioral change, which is that, it's really from Jesus, right? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, that that there's some insight, some truth, some new story, a new way of seeing the world, that if I get it and internalize it, I can change the way I act, right? Um, if I realize that God really loves me, then I will honor myself and honor other people better, right? Uh, and that's 100% true, right? That's biblical. Jesus says that. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, and, and I think we see that here. Paul talks about the idea that uh, the Gentiles are darkened in their understanding, um, they, they don't get it, right? They don't understand who God is or, or what He's done for them, and therefore they can't live out the life He calls them to live. But not all of transformation, not all of the change that Christ calls us to in terms of putting on the new self is about just accepting a truth. And this is really critical because I think that we've um, done a poor job of expressing this in the church. I think most people are, uh, are led to believe in the church that um, transformation happens when you know truth. And the reality is a lot of people know truth and never change. Okay? A lot of people know truth and never change. Uh, and part of that is because um, some change doesn't happen at the level of our intellect. It happens at the level of our habits. Uh, so uh, Paul goes on in this passage to talk about um, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Uh, he says um, stop lying. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. He says don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. He says um, get rid of malice and anger and be forgiving. Uh, those aren't necessarily behaviors that we we attain because we get a, a deep intellectual uh, truth. Those are behaviors that change because we work on changing our habits, right? Uh, I, I think I shared a few weeks ago in worship that I um, kind of uh, enjoy the occasional profanity, and uh, uh, it worked really hard to change that habit, 
right? And when I, when I realized that Jesus loved me and that he died for me and uh, that um, even something as, as simple as the language I used reflected on him, uh, I absolutely said, hey, I need to change my language. But it didn't change that day, right? It took a lot of work to get to change. It wasn't sufficient to have the knowledge. I needed some kind of uh, methodology for changing my behavior, okay? So that's what we're going to talk about this, this uh, season is that second kind of change, the change of, uh, 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 of behavior that comes from knowing the right kind of methodology for transformation. <clears throat> so I want to begin by telling or maybe retelling a story about a guy named E.P. If you remember this from a, a number of months ago, um, there's a guy named Eugene Pauly who in 1993 uh, was 59 years old and he was living in, I think, California and uh, he was rushed to the hospital by his family. Um, he was critically ill and was in a coma for 10 days. Turned out he had viral encephalopathy, which is, no, viral encephalitis, which is uh, pretty rare and doesn't usually have major side effects, but it got into the brain uh, and it was very deadly and he almost died. Uh, he was saved by um, some pretty incredible medications. But after he came out of his coma, they began to realize that he was different. And he was different because uh, he was no longer able to make new memories. Okay, so um, they did brain scans, and EP had uh, a walnut-sized portion of his frontal lobe that was just missing, that had been eaten away by the virus. And, and so uh, everything that happened to him up till he was 59 years old, he had great recollection of. But he couldn't remember anything, anything that happened after that. So you would sit down and meet him in a... In a um, doctor's office and you'd say, hi, Eugene, how are you? And he'd say, fine, thanks, how are you? And you have a nice conversation about the weather or whatever. And then 20 minutes later, he'd say, oh, hi, I'm Eugene, how are you? And he'd talk to you about the weather again because right? he just couldn't remember anything. Uh, so what, what they began to realize was so fascinating about Eugene Pauly was that he was able to learn new behaviors. So, for example, uh, after his accident, he and his wife moved out of their home, moved into a new home. Uh, and, of course, because he can't make new memories, he doesn't know anything about the home. He can't tell you something basic like how to get from his bed to the kitchen. He doesn't know where the kitchen is. If you sit him in the living room uh, and you ask him which door to the living room leads to the kitchen, he has no idea. He can't make new memories. Um, but uh, if he's lying in his bed and he gets hungry in the middle of the morning or early afternoon, he was able to get out of bed, um, walk straight to the kitchen, open the refrigerator, get the eggs and the bacon out, open the cabinets, get the pots and pans out, cook the eggs and bacon, um, put them, wash them, put them right back where they belong, make his way back to his bed, lay down, turn the radio on. And his family said, how is that possible? Right? How can he do that when he can't remember it, something as basic as where the kitchen is? Okay. Uh, and what they discovered, and you, EP was critical in this, um, some of the scientific discoveries around this issue, was that the part of your brain that controls um, your memory and your sort of reason and logical thinking and your decision making, which we call the frontal lobe, is completely unrelated to the part of your brain that controls uh, automated behaviors. Okay? Uh, and so uh, the automated behaviors, or what we call habits, um, are, are located in something we call the, the basal ganglia. And there's no test about this later on, but um, this is a little map of the brain, right? I'm, I'm also uh, extremely amateurish in this. I'm really glad that um, uh, Marie Tomasi is not here because she would put me to shame. But um, I, I can tell you a little bit about the brain, okay? So um, the exterior part of the brain is where most of your higher grade thinking happens, right? So your logic, your reason, your memory, all happens on the exterior part of your brain. A lot of that happens in the, uh, the, pre, uh, the frontal lobe, and that's actually where Eugene Pauly was damaged. Um, the basal ganglia is, is this purple and pink part here. That's right at the brain stem, right? It's right where the, the spine reaches the skull. Um, 
And it's, it's your really basic functions, okay? So the basal ganglia, and this, this sounds scientific, but it's really quite important. Um, the basal ganglia controls automated behavior. My ability to walk and talk at the same time is because I have a basal ganglia. Uh, I don't have to think about walking. Uh, your ability to breathe right now and not think about breathing is because you have a basal ganglia. Okay? There are actually folks that have been uh, uh, injured and had uh, damage to their ganglia, and they can still function, but it takes effort. Right? So there, there's, there's literature about individuals who um, have a damaged basal ganglia, and when they walk, they have to think, move the left leg. Move the left leg, stop, put it down. Pick up the right leg. Move the left, right leg, put it down. Stop, shift the weight. Right? Imagine if you had to walk like that. It would be debilitating. Uh, so the basal ganglia does this amazing work of um, creating these automated behaviors. And we use them all the time. Uh, in, in fact, uh, some researchers, researchers suggest that about 40% of everything you do all day long is automatic. Right? You, you don't even think about it. Some people say it's more than that. Um, so the, the, the way the basal ganglia works is, is pretty fascinating. Um, and um, maybe the best way we can do this is to talk about some experiments that have been done on, on rodents. So I, I think many, many years ago, centuries ago, the, the uh, rodents of the world brought us the, the bubonic plague. Uh, and and um, our response has been to bring them psychology and neurology, where we torture them in horrible ways. Um, so uh, there's an uh, experiment that was done on rodents. That was a joke, but nobody thought that was funny. Okay. Um, there was an experiment that was done on rodents uh, where they, they took a rat and they put him in a, in a maze, like a T-shaped maze like this, with a little gate here and a piece of chocolate at one end of the T. Okay? The rat's placed in the maze and um, the maze door opens and there's an audible clicking sound. When that happens, the rat's free to move around and um, he can smell the chocolate, but he doesn't know where it is. Okay? So the first time this happens, well, you know the rat wanders down the maze and he scratches and he sniffs and maybe he takes a wrong turn and goes to the end and finds nothing and goes back and finally finds the chocolate. Um, and as he's doing this, if you're watching as a researcher, uh, he looks kind of bored, right? It looks like this leisurely, unthinking stroll down this T-shaped maze. Um, but what was so interesting was uh, they, they hooked up electrodes to the brains of these rats, okay? And they wanted to see uh, just exactly what was going on in the uh, So uh, as the rat's going about the maze, there's you can't really tell from this graph, but there's incredible activity, okay? So the rat is, um, the, the, the brain of the rat is just exploding in, in knowledge. Every time it sifts or scratches or uh, touches anything, there's this incredible sensory input, right? And the, and the rat, though it looks like it's going kind of boringly through this maze, is, is learning and, and imbibing this uh, massive amount of information, okay? Now, um, they put the rat through the maze hundreds of times, okay? As you might expect, uh, the more the rat goes through the maze, the better he gets at it. And by the end of it, the rat goes immediately from point A to, the, to point B and gets the chocolate. Right? What's so interesting is what happens to his brain. So um, when the rat doesn't know what's going on, when he doesn't understand the system and there's no habit, there's a lot of brain activity. Okay? Um, when the rat does know what's going on, um, look at that. It's dramatically different. Okay? So you see a, a burst of brain activity here when the click happens. Okay? Then it's like the brain. The rat gets to the chocolate and there's a burst of brain activity again. Okay? This is really important because uh, so, this is how all of our brains work, you, me, and the rats. Um, w w our brains are designed to, to chunk information, right? to say um, the, the process of walking involves thousands of minor decisions. Um, I can live my life and go hunt the deer or whatever it is I need to do to survive. 
So I'm going to learn the process of walking as one chunk, okay? Uh, and then I'm going to automate that behavior. And I automate that behavior um, with this really simple system of, of what we call cue, routine, and reward, okay? The, the cue in this situation is the click, right? When the click happens, uh, the, the rat says, okay, trigger behavior. Uh, and then um, when the um, rat gets to the chocolate, again, he, he kind of comes to himself and he says, oh, chocolate, this is good. And the rat assesses, um, not necessarily consciously, completely, hey, did that work? Uh, did that behavior get me what I wanted? Well, here I am at the chocolate, so it must have worked pretty well, right? Um, this, this process um, is what we call the habit loop, and it's incredibly, incredibly important. Um, and I, I mentioned this in worship, but I just, uh, we, we got to get this. This is huge. Um, so the habit loop is cue, routine, and reward. Okay. Um, and there's going to be an error here, but it's not, it's not going there until next week. Um, so cue, routine, reward. Um, and this, this loop uh, is, is critical um, because it's the way our brains function all day long, every day, no matter what you're doing, right? Your, your brain is always looking for opportunities to make habits. And this like God wired us. Uh, it was his plan from the beginning. Um, it's wonderful. Uh, if we didn't have it, we'd be paralyzed, right? If we, if we couldn't make habits, kind of chunk out behavior, uh, we'd, we'd be uh, unable to do anything basic, right? Think about um, how many decisions go into driving a car. Anybody remember the first time or you started to learn to drive a car? It's terrifying, right? I mean, there's so many things. that it, Just backing out of the driveway, right? You're looking out three mirrors. Uh, you've got to put it in gear. If it's a stick shift, you've got to do extra stuff. I don't know how to do that stuff, but I hear it's hard. Uh, and, then, and then you're backing in the driveway, and you're looking both ways for cars, plus you're checking the sidewalks, right? I mean, it's, it's a lot just to get out the driveway. Um, do you think about all that stuff when you back your car out in the morning? No, none of it, right? I mean, you do it all but you're not worried about it. Um, so uh, some, at some point our brain said, okay, this is a chunk, right? I'm going to chunk this behavior. Um, we've all had the experience of driving somewhere and realizing when we got there we didn't remember getting there, right? Because um, you go into autopilot. That's your brain chunking the behavior, right? It's saying, all right, habit, driving to work. And you've done this, right, where you've gone the wrong place. Anybody done this? Yeah? Uh, it happens to me all the time, right? Because um, when I leave the house, I'm usually coming to church. And so I, I just go to church on my way to everywhere else now, right? So I get to church, and I realize I was going to the grocery store, and I just pull out again. Um, fortunately, church is close by. That would be a real pain if I lived uh, in Mozanique still. Um, so um, uh, the, the challenge for us, and the, we're doing good, okay. The, the, the challenge for us in, in, um, in this process is our brain has to know when to trigger a habit and when not to trigger a habit, right? So imagine you're the rat in the maze. Um, what tells you to trigger the habit to go find the chocolate? What's the cue? The click. Okay, great. Now imagine you're the rat in the maze, and instead of a click, you hear a meow, right? You're going to have a different habit, right? Uh, our brains are sophisticated enough to say, oh gosh, there's a cat in the maze, right? Uh, we are not going to go looking for the chocolate. We're going to hide. Um, so um, just to be aware at that point, uh, before the cue is accepted, your brain is thinking, all right, what am I doing? Okay? Once the cue is accepted, your brain's on autopilot. Um, uh, and, and then uh, your brain kind of comes to, again, when you get to the chocolate, and you say, all right, um, this, is, this is the reward I was searching for. Yes, good job routine. Okay? Um, 
Okay, uh, let, let me digress for a second. No, hold, let me pause for a second. Does that make sense? Does that routine, uh, uh, Q routine reward loop make sense? Any questions about that? This is all in the basal ganglia. Um, so, uh, and this is precisely why somebody like EP can learn new habits but not new, new memories, right? So EP can learn the habit of um, making breakfast in a new kitchen. But he doesn't know how many times he's had breakfast. So he'll make breakfast five, six times a day every 40 minutes because um, he can't remember doing it, but he can learn the habit, okay? Um, any, uh, questions about that? Is that making sense so far? This is really important, so I want to make sure it's clear. Okay. Um, there's a great movie called Memento that is all about this, which is also um, not child appropriate. Um, but it's, uh, it's all about this idea of um, two ways to train your brain. Okay. Um, so I, just a, a quick aside. Um, when we talk about the reward, I realize I wrote it upside down and backwards. So that, that's reward. Um, uh, when we talk about the reward, um, th there's two ways to view sort of habit formation. Um, and, and one way is, is, I think, the better way, which is this. The other way is, instead of reward, we can use punishment. And I don't know why I'm writing this one upside down and backwards either. It's just become a habit. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, for example, uh, if your kid... Uh, is in the kitchen with you and you're cooking soup and the stove is on and it's hot and your child reaches up to touch the hot um, uh, uh, soup pot on the stove and you slap their hand, right? Because you don't want them to burn their hand. Um, that, that's a, that's a, you can train a habit that way, but it's a habit that involves a punishment, not a reward. Does that make sense? Right? Um, here's the problem. Every habit only works in the presence of its cute reward. Okay? So the rat is not going to go for the chocolate. If it doesn't hear the click, let, let me rephrase. The rat's not going to use the habit to get to the chocolate, unless it hears the click and it finds the chocolate at the end, okay? Um, if you ask your child, for example, not to touch the boiling pot by slapping his or her hand, what happens when you're not there? They touch the pot, right? They're going to do it because the, 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 the reward or the punishment is gone, right? Um, so this is actually really critical because we can change habits if we know this information, right? If the cue is missing, um, then I can change a habit. Um, or if I can create a new cue that preempts an old cue, I can change a habit. Or if I can remove a reward, which is really, really hard to do, um, I can change a habit. Okay? None of those are the best way to change habits, but they're all possible. Um, I, I would say, not just me, um, but Charles Duhigg and other folks would say, um, that habits that are rooted in punishments are, are, are very ineffective because when the, it's very difficult to maintain a, a consistent punishment. Right? So, um, for example, in America, we incarcerate a huge percentage of our citizens, right? Um, and the recidivism rate for incarcerated Americans is really high, right? If you get arrested for felony, um, the, the likelihood of you getting arrested again for another felony is through the roof. Um, that's because this doesn't work, right? Because punishing people to change their behavior isn't effective. Um, now, it gets them off the street, maybe. I'm not saying you shouldn't inc incarcerate people who commit crimes. I'm saying it's not going to change their behavior because as soon as the threat of punishment is gone, they're going to go right back to their old behavior. Does that make sense? Um, so uh, a lot of people, for example, talk about drug treatment and say, hey, um, we got to get out of the, the punishment mentality of, of drugs uh, and look at a treatment mentality of drugs that talks about uh, changing behavior with routine and reward, not routine and punishment. Um, okay. Uh, golly. All right, so let's, let's, let's do this. Um, uh, I want to think a little bit about uh, this habit loop and then um, touch a little bit on how we begin to change a habit. Uh, so <clears throat> as, as we think about identifying this loop, um, there's, there's a couple of, of key components to um, 
the, the habit transformation process or, or what Paul calls the renewing of our minds. Uh, and, and the first is a recognition of the process itself, right? Um, that you can't change an unconscious action except by a conscious choice. Uh, you can't change an unconscious action except by a conscious choice, which means um, most of your habits are unconscious. You're not even noticing that you're doing them. Uh, so un- until you have some awareness of this process and then of the habit themselves, um, you can't change any habit. Uh, this is where um, Scripture becomes a really useful tool, right? So when, when you see the Scripture say, hey, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, um, that can become an awareness for you to say, oh, gosh, yeah, I do that. I need to change that habit. Um, this is also where the, the science of habit transformation is really helpful, right? Uh, that if I have an awareness of what a cue routine reward looks like, I can begin to notice, oh my gosh, that was the cue, that was the routine, that was the reward. I see where that habit um, background exists. Uh, action. This is what Paul says when he says, um, put on the new self. Right? It, it's never something that you default into. You default into habits, but you don't default out of habits. Okay? Because uh, your brain is wired to simplify decisions. Um, what your brain doesn't do is it doesn't decide which decisions are good. Right? And this is really tough. It would be really helpful if your brain could say, all right, it's, it's a good habit to brush my teeth in the morning. It's a bad habit to smoke a cigarette. Uh, I'm going to make it easier to make the routine of brushing the teeth and harder to make. The, your brain doesn't do that. Right? Your brain just says, hey, it's a habit. It's a routine. I see this loop. I'm going to do it. Uh, and the habit itself, the process is good, um, but it can engender in us some really destructive habits. Um, so two things that are helpful to recognize. Um, the, the first is that habits are durable, and the second is that habits are delicate. Okay? So habits are durable. Uh, that means uh, they don't go away when we stop doing them. Uh, so uh, if you go on a vacation to wherever, and you don't take your car, and you come back a week or a month later, you still know how to drive your car, right? More or less. Anybody um, uh, ride their bike on a regular basis? Uh, a few people do. I know some bike riders here. Um, ever, ever, anybody ever ridden a bike before? Um, do you think if you got on a bike, you could ride it? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be like, whatever his name is, Tony Horton. Is he a bike rider? No, Tony Horton's a, I don't know. You, you wouldn't be a great bike rider, um, but you could do it, right? Because you never forget habits, okay? They never go away. I mean, it's like in your permanent memory. Uh, so um, you get on a bike tomorrow, you could bike to and from wherever you're going with some degree of skill. This is a great thing, but it's also a challenging thing. It means if you have a habit that you want to change, um, it's never going to just go away on its own. Uh, and even if you make a new habit or begin to alter uh, the behavior of that habit, um, the original loop is always going to be in the back of your head. Okay? Uh, so if you learn to, well, this is an addiction, but it's kind of related. If you learn to chew Nicorette gum instead of smoking cigarettes, right? um, then you can make a new habit out of that. But if you pick up a cigarette, it's going to trigger that whole habit loop again, right? Because you didn't lose the old habit, you just made a new one. Does that make sense? Okay, habits are durable. Habits are also delicate. Uh, What I mean by delicate is uh, if if you mess up this habit loop, you'll throw the person um, for a loop. You'll you'll, you'll, you'll throw the person out of the cycle, okay? So uh, I I told a story before about um, E.P., who lived in California, who... um, uh, he, you know, he moved after his accident to a, a new home, new neighborhood, didn't know where that was, couldn't make a memory of where he lived. Um, but he and his wife would take these long walks morning and afternoon around uh, their little community. Part of that was because EP um, would ask the same questions over and over again 
all day long. It was driving his wife crazy, right? Um, and, and so she had to get him out of the house to do these walks. So uh, one day she gets up later than usual and she can't find him. And this is her nightmare scenario, right? That he would wander off and he would never be able to find his way home and he couldn't explain to anyone where he lived or, or what was going on or anything that made any sense to a stranger. Uh, and so she runs around the neighborhood. She knocks on all the doors. She thinks maybe he went to a house that looks like theirs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Can't find him. Uh, comes back in 15 minutes later to call the police. And there he is sitting on the sofa watching TV. And she's like, where did you go? And of course he says, I don't remember, because um, he can't. Uh, so she watches him the next day. Uh, and he gets up and he does the walk. Right? And he walks around the neighborhood, the same walk they did together every morning and every afternoon. Uh, he has no idea where he lives. Um, later on, researchers will walk with EP. And as they're walking, they'll say, hey, do you know where you are? No, I have no idea where you are. Hey, do you know where you live? No, I have no idea where I live. And then he'll walk right up to his front door and walk in. Uh, now, if EP is on his regular walk that he knows by heart, uh, and there's construction, and the sidewalk on which he normally walks is closed, he will come out of the habit loop and be completely lost. And he cannot come home. Right? Um, because the, the, the routine has been interrupted. Okay? Uh, so he has the queue, and the queue is, whatever the queue is, I woke up and I go for a walk for EP. I'm not sure what his queue is. Uh, the routine is, I take exactly this path. As soon as the routine is interrupted, we come out of the habit, okay? Um, which is what I mean by habits are delicate, okay? Um, and, and that actually is also a wonderful thing. This is how we change behavior, right? So if I have a habit of um, stopping by the bar on the way home to have three or four drinks, um, it's not an inescapable habit. It's durable, but it's also delicate, right? I can change that with the right methodology. Does that make sense? Okay, a little bit? Um, all right, uh, I also want to make one more distinction uh, between uh, a habit and a skill, okay? Um, so uh, uh, a habit is ordinarily something that's formed unconsciously, and a skill is ordinarily something that's formed consciously, right? So I might say, I'm going to practice the violin every day for an hour for 12 years. <clears throat> um, that's a skill at the end of it. Now, it's still a learned behavior, right? And there's still a point where I'm playing violin where a lot of that um, is using my basal ganglia to say, okay, yeah, vibrato looks like this, and this is where a, a C note is and whatever else. Um, but I want to make a distinction between a skill and a habit because habits ordinarily happen unintentionally. We can intentionally form habits, but, but often they happen on their own, right? I didn't set out to make a habit of learning to drive to work. Right? My brain just did that. I didn't set out to make a habit of brushing my teeth. I mean, I was a kid. I didn't want to do it at all. My parents wanted me to do it. I thought it was dumb. Um, for like six years, I brushed with no toothpaste, which is probably why I have such bad teeth. Uh, <clears throat> but but the, the, the habit forms by itself, right? Now, you can choose to form a habit, um, but it doesn't have the intentionality always that a skill has, okay? Um, okay, uh, and then I want to talk a little bit, uh, uh, I want to have some time about spiritual habits and keystone habits. And then, and then um, I'm, I'll pause again for a minute. <clears throat> so uh, as I think about this, this, this um, the habit loop and this process of, of what happens in our basal ganglia and how we go through this process, um, I, I want to suggest this is a critical component of our spiritual lives. Right? I want to suggest that this is not just some neat behavioral science, but it's, it's an essential part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Um, uh, and, and I think that this whole idea of what Paul says in Ephesians of um, putting off the old self and being renewed in the attitude of our minds 
and putting on the new self in Jesus Christ is a lot about this process of noticing our behavior and making these habitual changes. Um, and and the, the danger in that is I, I think we can begin to think um, that, that if I'm not intentional about every one of my spiritual choices, they're not good, right? Like if I pray at night because it's a habit, maybe it's not as authentic as it is if I pray because I just deeply love Jesus and uh, I think about him all the time. Right? I would suggest exactly the opposite. Right? I would suggest that if I deeply love Jesus, I'm going to form habits around uh, discipleship and following him, right? Um, that nobody can, um, in the front of their mind, always maintain uh, a deep emotional connection to another person that totally um, controls their behavior, right? So um, think about marriage for a second as, a, as an easy example, right? Everybody's had the experience uh, of being in love at some point, I hope, of saying, hey, there's this person that I'm just head over heels crazy about. And everybody's had the experience of that going away, right? Maybe somebody out there has not had that, maybe, but... Um, Ordinarily, that goes away, right? Uh, and um, there, there's a guy named Gary Chapman who writes a book called The Five Love Languages who says uh, that, that love begins when the in-love experience ends, right? When we have to make choices to love someone because we don't just naturally think, we're not infatuated with them anymore, right? We don't always put them first. So um, in, in my life, I know my wife feels particularly loved when I help around the house. Uh, and so I have all these habits I've developed uh, to make sure I do some stuff around the house. So I get up in the morning, and I put all the dishes away, right? I don't really think about, I'm not thinking, boy, I hope Krista feels loved as I put away this, this uh, wine glass, right? I'm thinking, put the wine glasses away. Actually, I'm thinking, where's the baby? I'm not thinking about that at all. It's just a habit, right? Um, I haven't seen the baby in 20 minutes. Where's the baby? Um, I think, and I hope Krista agrees with me, I think that's, to toot my own horn, being a pretty good husband, right? Say, hey, I know this matters to my wife. I'm going to prioritize her by learning this habit. Um, I may not always think about her as I'm doing it, but the reason I learned the habit was so that I would always do it, right? She would always come home and, or come down in the morning and see the dishes are put away and feel a little bit less stress, okay? Um, I think the same thing's true in our relationship with God. Um, that if I develop the habit of reading my Bible every day, I may not sit down every morning and say, boy, I'm reading the Bible because I'm overwhelmingly emotionally affectionate towards Jesus right now. I might read my Bible because that's what I do every morning. I think that's great. I think Jesus honors that. There will be plenty of times as I'm reading my Bible where I'll say, holy moly, Jesus, you're amazing and I love you, right? But if I don't have one of those moments in the morning, if I just read my Bible because I think that's what it means to be a disciple and I want to learn more about him and I do my best and I go on with my day, boy, I think that's a wonderful part of my spiritual life. Um, uh, I, I think if um, I have a habit of going to worship on a, on a Sunday morning, right, um, I, I was home last week with uh, my family, and um, Sunday morning, my uh, Sunday Saturday night, my son Jonathan had been throwing up, so he wasn't going to go to church with us. And we had this whole conversation about uh, where we're going to go or not because we didn't get anyone else sick. And I personally had not thrown up, but I had been thrown up on, which is kind of worse in some respects. Um, and but I said, this is what I do on Sundays, right? I can't not go to church. And, and it wasn't like a big decision. I didn't think about it carefully. And I didn't even, to be honest, I didn't even say, boy, like, I love Jesus so much, I really want to go this morning. It's like, no, this is the way my life has been structured, right? I prioritize church on Sunday mornings. That's what I do. Other than getting someone else sick, which I don't think I'm going to do, I'm going to church. Right? Um, th those spiritual habits are wonderful ways of loving God. Right? Um, 
And, and I think the more we develop those, the better disciples we're able to be. Uh, and if I'm able to, to say, hey, I don't have to decide if I'm going to church on Sunday morning, it makes me more able to be present in God in the ways, um, maybe in the context of worship, um, just like if I don't have to think about walking, I'm able to talk and walk at the same time, right? If I don't think about driving, I'm able to drive and, well, not talk to myself and that would be bad, but other things at the same time, right? Um, so I want to encourage you as you think about the sort of the habit formation process, those spiritual habits are great things to develop. And, and I think that's exactly what Paul wants us to do, to say, hey, um, don't fit God in when it works. Um, build God into your life. Right? There's a wonderful book by um, Richard Foster called The Celebration of Disciplines. Anybody read this book? Um, so if you've not and you're interested in looking for a, a good read, it's fantastic. Uh, Richard Foster talks about, oh dear, uh, I can't remember if it's 12 or 18. It's a whole bunch of spiritual disciplines. Uh, everything from uh, meditation and prayer and uh, generosity to fasting and uh, service to the poor and all this stuff. And um, he calls them spiritual disciplines. I, I'd call them spiritual habits. Um, and if you're looking to figure out maybe what you want to add into your life next, well, that's a great book to pick up and read and say, all right, well, I, maybe I need to think about adding into the spiritual habit of, um, uh, of meditation in my life. And what, what does that look like? And Foster gives you some great context for that. Okay? Um, so I think part of the process for us is to add in spiritual habits. Part of the process is also to remove carnal habits, right? To move, remove the fleshly habits or what Paul says are our old life habits. Um, and so we all have patterns of behavior that we don't even necessarily think about. And some of those are really destructive, like addictions, right? Uh, whether that's addictions to alcohol or drugs or um, uh, pornography or um, gambling or whatever it might be. Um, many, many people deal with that stuff. But we all have other uh, habits that are maybe not addictions, but are still um, leading us away from God on a regular basis, right? Um, so some awareness of that to say, all right, well, what are the things that I do kind of automatically uh, that maybe are not God-honoring? And how do I begin to, to, to tackle and transform those uh, to consciously try to change my unconscious mind? Um, so I want you guys to think over the next um, week or so um, about what habit you like to change or start. Uh, and so maybe there's a spiritual habit that you want to start. Actually, self-care is a spiritual habit, right? So if, like, I really need to exercise. Um, so uh, the Bible says your body is your temple. Uh, it's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Rather than not your temple, it's God's temple. And um, if you feel like, hey, that's, your, that's what you need to work on, great. That can be a spiritual habit, right? Um, uh, my small group read a, a book called, um, what's that book called? It's called um, The Good and Beautiful God. Thanks, thanks, Joel. It's called The Good and Beautiful God. Uh, and and it, uh, chapter included a spiritual habit they wanted you to add. And the first one was sleep. The first habit uh, in this book was, and if you're not getting enough sleep every night, if you're not getting enough rest every night, you are not able to be present for God uh, and to be God's presence in other people's lives in the way you're supposed to be. You should get more sleep. Right? Um, so uh, a lot of things can be a spiritual habit. Right? So think about either what's a spiritual habit you want to add into your life or what's a, what's a carnal habit that you want to change? Right? What's, what's a behavior that, uh, you know, um, my father and I, like to um, play board games. And so he was here. He was with us for the week before Christmas. And um, we'll play board games till midnight or, or, or 1 a.m. sometimes. Uh, and he's really good, so he always wins, which makes it um, kind of depressing, but still fun. Um, uh, and I have this terrible habit, right? As I'm playing, as it gets later in the night, 
Um, I'm more tired, and I'm not going to bed because I'm, I'm having a lot of fun playing games. So my solution is I eat, right? And so I'll go to the cupboard and I'll get to eat. Now, it's not so bad most days. When I'm playing board games, um, and it's a turn-based game, like every other turn, I'll get up and go eat something, right? And it's something small, uh, usually, but I'll do it again and again and again and again. Um, and it's, it's a bad habit. Right? Uh, so I, I had this idea um, that worked for about two weeks in my father-in-law. Uh, and, and the idea was, and this is what we'll talk about a little bit next week, uh, to change my routine. Okay? So I'm going to suggest to you guys next week a little bit that cues and rewards are very difficult to change. Not impossible, just very difficult. But routines... So um, I said every uh, time uh, it was not my turn uh, in, the, in the game and I was motivated to go up and get, get a cookie from the kitchen, uh, I would instead get up and do five sit-ups. Uh, and my idea was I just needed something to do, right? That my cue was really about boredom, right? I was, it's not my turn, I'm, I'm, I'm tired, uh, it's like 12.30 in the morning and um, I need to do something to stay awake and stay focused. Um, Getting up and doing five sit-ups would work just as well as getting a cookie, right? It's the movement and the activity that wakes me up. Um, that worked really well uh, until what happened? My, my cue was gone, right? Uh, Steve went home, and I went back to staying up late and um, watching uh, Netflix and eating lots of food, right? Um, so uh, that, that process of transformation, you may have a, a habit that's not necessarily, you know, crystal meth addiction, but uh, I eat too many cookies. Okay, great. Let's pick that and talk about how we're going to transform that. Okay? So this is part of your assignment um, for the coming week, is to think about either one habit you want to start, or one habit you want to change. Does that kind of make sense? Questions about that at all? Okay, we're doing well? Okay, uh, how do I do on time? Uh, okay, okay. Um, so uh, I, I want to do one last thing, um, and, and that's, I want to talk about keystone habits. Okay? Um, so the, the idea of a keystone habit is that uh, there are some behaviors that if you change them, they change everything else. Um, and there's a story that Charles Duhigg tells about a woman named Lisa. Uh, Lisa was uh, a young um, mom, married. Uh, she was, uh, I think at the time of the story, she was like 19 or 20. And uh, she was uh, smoking. She was... Uh, obese and uh, she was in a very difficult marriage with a very young child uh, and her husband decided to divorce her and she lost her job all in the same period of about a week and a half uh, and so obviously it caused all kinds of trauma and stress for her and um, she made a kind of interesting decision she said I'm going to go to Cairo like Cairo Egypt and she had not yet maxed out her credit cards so they were close to being maxed out so she maxed them out and she went to Cairo uh, for no particular reason. She'd always wanted to go to Egypt. And uh, she got there, and um, she just kind of broke down in her hotel room one night and just was overwhelmed with the state of her life. I mean, here she was in a foreign country, doesn't know anybody, not planning on staying there, by the way. She's just visiting. Um, and her marriage has fallen apart, and her watching her child, and she's 20 years old, and she's overweight, and she's uh, strung out on, well, uh, nicotine at least, um, and she's trying to figure out what's next in her life. Uh, and for whatever reason, uh, she looks out and she sees uh, this massive desert um, uh, just outside of, uh, of the city. And she says, you know what? I'm going to come back in one year. 
and I'm going to walk across that desert. I'm going to, I'm going to travel across that desert. Uh, no logic, no reason to that decision. She, she just, boom, that was what came into her head. She said, okay, if I, that's my goal, um, I've, got to, I've got to change my behavior. And the first thing I've got to do is I've got to stop smoking. Okay? Um, now, uh, Lisa is somebody who's been this real person. She's been studied by uh, a lot of these behavioral psychologists. Um, so um, I think five, six years later, she's sitting in a room in, uh, I think it was Duke University, actually, uh, talking to the psychologist. And Lisa, at this point, is uh, this uh, slim, attractive woman who's been remarried in a, in a stable marriage. Uh, she's got a great job. Uh, she's a, I think she's a runner. I'm not sure if she's a marathon runner, but she runs. All, of, all running is crazy to me, and she's doing it. Um, and she, of course, is not smoking at all. Uh, and they're trying to figure out how in the world her whole life changed, right? How did, what did she do to make all of that transformation in such a short period of time? Uh, she in, ended up, by the way, in, in one year's time, she did go back to Egypt, and she did travel across the desert. She traveled across the desert uh, in an air-conditioned um, SUV, uh, and a caravan with other people, with emergency water and all these kinds of supplies and stuff. But when she made that commitment, she didn't know that was going to happen, right? Um, and, and all she knew was, to her mind at that time, she could not meet her goal. Uh, she could get that reward without stopping smoking. What they found was that for, for Lisa, uh, smoking was a keystone habit. It was one transformation that changed everything else. That after that one thing changed, um, it's like the, the ball started rolling and it didn't stop. So they did interesting... Um, some interesting scans of Lisa's brain, and they found, um, as far as they could tell, um, that the, the habit loops that she used to have were all still there. Right? I mean, there, there, there were still uh, electrodes that would light up if you gave her a cigarette. Right? Um, but on top of those, she had kind of rewired her brain. Right? Paul might say she put the new self on top of the old self, right? Um, and, and she had these new uh, behaviors and habits that were more pleasurable uh, uh, and, and more natural for her than those old ones. Uh, th- so what they said in, in this research was um, everyone has the potential for one of these keystone habits, right? Um, that there may be one thing in your life that if you can change it, it gives you the ability to change everything else. Um, boy, th- by the way, this sounds a lot like something Jesus might say. Um, that, you know, if you begin the path of transformation, um, more transformation can come. Uh, and so... Um, I can't begin to tell you what your keystone habit is, right? I have no idea. And, and, and I don't know what my keystone habit is either. Um, but I love the idea uh, that the goal of this class is not just getting you to change one habit, right? I'm not really interested in you keeping your New Year's resolution this year. I'm not really interested in you just adding one spirit or just changing one bad habit. Um, I'm really interested in you learning this process um, of, of transformation so that um, every time you have a habit you want to change, you're able to do that, right? And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that um, for every one of us, once we learn this skill uh, and once we begin to trust that uh, in the midst of this um, mechanical process, Christ is in it and the Holy Spirit is in it helping us and aiding us and moving us along, um, th- then maybe we'll begin to believe that um, the bigger stuff in our lives can change, right? That if I can, if I can change the habit of not smoking or if I can ch- change the habit of not getting up and going to the cookie jar, if I can begin to sleep better or exercise better, Maybe I can also change that stuff that seems insurmountable. Um, that once the, the Spirit begins to transform me, uh, maybe that transformation can continue. That, that's my hope, right? My hope is that um, we'll, we'll learn that skill and we'll trust that in the midst of it, Christ is, is moving and we'll become people that get good at being changed. Um, I, I want to say just w- one last thing. Um, 
this is all this great behavioral science stuff. Um, this isn't new, right? Um, people have been doing this for, for centuries. Uh, and uh, the Christian mystics wouldn't have used this language, but they knew this uh, when they talked about spiritual disciplines five, six hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. Um, uh, organizations like AA today use exactly this strategy. Um, they, didn't, they did it long before uh, EP uh, ever came along and had his illness and uh, we learned about what the basal ganglia does. Um, but AA uses exactly the strategy of Q routine reward to transform people's lives, okay? Um, so this isn't something new and newfangled. It's just that we have new language to talk about it. Um, and, and, I, and it's an incredible way to, to work on that transformation in your life. Um, okay, uh, questions, thoughts, comments about, um, you know, your basal ganglia or the habit loop or what it means to, to be renewed in the, uh, in the attitude of your mind or any of that stuff? Um, what do you think? Well, the month we're all going to be different. Totally different. Totally different. Um, yeah. Could be. Um, uh, you know, there's, there, what's that old phrase about like it takes 30 days to make a habit? Um, uh, there's, there's some truth in that, right? That, that the, the idea of the, um, what the basal ganglia does is it's, it's, uh, it learns through repetition. The, the rat doesn't learn the maze after one trip through the maze, right? Learns the maze after 100 trips through the maze. You didn't learn to drive the first time you got on the road, right? The first time I got on the road, by the way, I took driver's ed uh, and as a, mm, I guess a 16-year-old uh, behind the wheel, and it was through a local university. I didn't know anybody. And the guy picked me up <coughs> at my house and put me in the driver's seat. I had driven in, like, parking lots with my mom and dad. That was it. Uh, and he said, okay, we're going to go in the interstate and, and drive three miles interstate. And I was like, that's not a good idea. And I was right. It was not a good idea. Um, and I got home after nearly dying like 12 times. And I said, I'm not going tomorrow, right? I have no desire to get back in that car. Um, so one trip through a new habit makes no difference, right? It's, it's 10 trips. It's 20 trips. It's 100 trips where we really begin to start. Um, so reading my Bible once on, on, on a weekday morning is not going to make me do it every day. Um, but learning this skill will help me to turn that into a habit. Absolutely. The, the question is, um, will, we, uh, will, will changing the habit loop make you uncomfortable in different ways? Absolutely. Right? Uh, now, we'll, we'll talk about addiction in the future, but um, you know, you, obviously there's withdrawal symptoms you go through with addiction. Um, you can have, um, I don't want to say similar withdrawal symptoms, but you can have um, vaguely similar responses with a habit loop, right? Uncomfortable. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, so, you know, if, if you, uh, if, there was a time when I was exercising every day, right? And I really enjoyed exercising every day. And when I stopped, it was unpleasant. Like, I didn't like it. Right? I, I missed it. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a point where even you're, you're, you have some physical discomfort. Like, I'm, I'm used to being more active, and it's hard to stop. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, changing a habit is not simple. Um, but uh, so this is the idea that habits are durable, but they're delicate, right? Uh, so they're not going to go away. They're durable. But you can interrupt them surprisingly easy, easily if you, if you know what you're doing. Um, it doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable. Yeah, good point. 
yeah, the, the question is, is when, when Paul talks about um, putting on the new self, is that not just what Jesus means about being born again? Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, the, the, I want to be careful because I, I, I'm really um, suggesting that, that when Paul says uh, put on the new self, he's talking about um, two kinds of transformation. Right? One is this habitual behavioral change. One is this kind of intellectual um, um, truth change. I think they're both really key. Um, when Jesus talks about being born again, I think he's also talking about an, we would call an ontological change, but he's saying um, you used to be one thing and now you're something else, right? So Paul talks about a new creation. Um, so Jesus is, saying, Jesus is saying in a nutshell, you used to be human, right? Now you've been adopted into the family and you're like human God, like I am, right? You've got the Holy Spirit living inside you. You're no longer just human. Um, and, and so Paul's saying, okay, if that's true, um, how should your life change to reflect your new reality? So if your new reality is um, you're a Christian, right? You're a little Christ. Um, how should um, your, your day-to-day life change to reflect the fact that you're a little Christ? Because um, I've been a little Christ for a long time. Right? I mean, I accepted Christ all, quite a long time ago. Um, and yet there's still plenty of components in my life that are not Christ-like. Um, so I, I think there's two parts to this. Right? There's the part where, what, that Jesus does for us where he adopts us into the family of God and he atones for our sins and he um, gives us this, this new status as um, uh, people whose bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And then there's, once that happens, what's my job, right? I don't do any of that. I can't atone for my own sins and I can't make the Holy Spirit live inside me. But once that happens, now the Holy Spirit's inside of me, I have a responsibility to try to look more Christ-like. And how do I do that? And so I think Paul's probably talking about both. Yep. Heaven. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I had about that, but I love that, right? I mean, the cue is Christ's salvation for us. The routine is our response, and, and the reward is heaven. I mean, that's, that's cool to think about. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Mike. Yes. 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 Uh, I totally agree with what you just said, Mike. Um, so uh, I'm going to repeat that for folks listening online. But So um, Mike said two things. He said, first, we have this great language in, in Romans 7 and 8 where Paul talks about uh, his own transformation. And I, I love this passage. This is Romans 7, uh, 21. Paul says, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. He will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law 
but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Okay, so completely agree. And, and I would say, um, um, I think we've, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't want to speak for you. I've had this experience a lot, right, of saying, boy, I know I love Jesus. I, I, I know I'm saved. I, I know I want to be a good disciple. But I look back at what I did the last hour and a half, and I think, holy moly, that must have embarrassed, that would embarrass everyone I know, especially Jesus. Um, and I personally think when, when Jesus says, um, there's a, the law of my mind, is, uh, uh, I delight in God's law, uh, and my body is a different law, the law of my, my members for sin. I think he's saying, hey, I have these habits of sin, right? I've, I've, been, I've trained myself to be sinful, uh, and I don't want to do it anymore, but I find myself doing it without even thinking about it, right? I think it's exactly what Paul wants us to work on is how do we get those habits out. Um, but I also want to agree with what Mike said. He said, we have to be really careful this doesn't become... Um, I need to work hard. It's all about me. Um, kind of a works righteousness, be good so God will love you mentality, right? That is not at all what I want to say. And that's not what I want this class to be about. I want to make it really clear. The, the whole idea of habit transformation is pre, preceded by the idea that Christ loves you regardless, right? You can't, can't get God to love you more because you change a few bad habits or add a few good habits. Um, and um, you can't do this at all without the Holy Spirit, right? So I, I'm not suggesting that um, we could go get a whole bunch of non-Christians and give them some good habits and unleash them in the world and feel like we've done a good job, right? Uh, it's the Holy Spirit inside us that allows us to make uh, the real change that God's talking When he says, um, off your bodies as a living sacrifice, he's not saying stop smoking, right? He's saying, as you stop smoking, let that be a response to the grace of Christ on the cross for you. He's not saying exercise more. He's saying, if you choose to exercise more, do it as a response to the grace of Christ on the cross for you. He's not saying, be kind to the poor. He's saying, if you are kind to the poor, do it as a response to what Christ has done for you. Um, So uh, let's be really clear. Um, This is not about being good enough so God will love us. If God loved us, let's try to respond to his love uh, in a way that honors him in our lives. Yeah, that's huge. Um, Tell me, tell me, Gail, tell me that. Why you do that, Mimi? Will you pass me? Do you have that book? Can I see that book? Yeah. Go ahead, Gail. Right back to Coke. <laughs> uh-huh. um, uh, so, telling the story of, uh, of, of um, drinking Diet Coke, breaking the addiction, and then going back. Um, yeah, I, I was addicted to Coca-Cola for a long time, and I, I understand. Um, uh, uh, and we'll talk about that because the, um, I, 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 need, I don't want to close up, but the, the point of habits are durable, and habits are delicate, right? So you broke the habit, but it's durable. It's never really gone. So when you go back, by the way, um, anybody ever had, again, addiction is different, but anybody ever had a friend or a loved one who was a, a recovering alcoholic who thought, okay, I've been out of it long enough, I can go back and drink again? Usually you cannot, right? Usually you cannot. I know so many people who thought, well, I've been sober for a year or six months or five years or ten years, and they thought, now I can have a drink. Habits are durable. Habits are durable. You can't. They're still there. Um, okay, I want to, I just, I, this is neat. So uh, Mimi gave me this um, this afternoon, I wanted to read it for you. This is a book called Jesus Calling. I mean, this is how I'm going to end. A book by Jesus, Jesus Calling. It's a devotional book, and every day you get a little different devotional. Today's June 4th. I'm oh, sorry, January 4th. January 4th. Um, 
I'm a little confused. Uh, it's January 4th, and um, uh, this, is how, this is how today's devotional begins. I want you to learn a new habit. Try saying, trust you, Jesus, in response to whatever happens to you. If there is time, think about who I am and all my power and glory. Ponder also the depth and breadth of my love for you. Um, I thought that was pretty awesome that today's assignment was to, to learn a new habit. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for uh, the way that you made us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you for uh, the fact that you have redeemed us, that we are in Christ a new creation. The old has gone. Uh, the new has come. And we thank you, Lord, that you allow us to be part of that process of transformation, that it's not only something you do for us, but something you allow us to share in with you. And so we pray that uh, in the coming weeks and months, we would be part of that process of putting off our old selves and putting on uh, the new life of Christ, that we would be engaged with you in the renewing of our minds. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that uh, this process and this journey might be a way to, to live into that transformation in a way that honors you. We want to learn a new habit. Uh, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, thanks guys. Go in peace.